0: How you doing? <laughs> Two thumbs up. All right. <clears throat> it's good to see you all. We are starting a new series today called Margin. Uh, this is a four-part series, and, and we're going to talk about something that is, I think, applicable to all of us, the, the whole idea of finding room to breathe in your life, of having some margin in your life. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Uh, but I know a couple things about the people in this room. Uh, uh, there are some in here that would say, I'm a, I'm a comfortable with clutter person, right? Others of you are minimalist and you like everything very organized. So some of you could live out of your car for like a month with the, the stuff that's in there right now, right? You could eat the petrified fries that have fallen down next to the seat, you'd be all right. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've never seen a fry that could be, you know, used as a weapon. There are, there are some here who consider organizing their closet a great afternoon, right? And there are some here who every morning uh, you go get your clothes out of your closet, it's an adventure, you know? You might, you might find something that matches right away, you might find something you had forgotten you own. something may fall on you. You, don't, you just don't know what's going to happen. But here's the deal, it's, it's one thing for your closet... It's one thing for your the trunk of your car. It's one thing for your attic or your basement or those, the kind of those places that you put stuff to look like this. That's okay. Here's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. It's not okay for your life to look like this. It's not okay for your schedule to look like this. It's not okay for your finances to look like this. Where there's absolutely no room for error. You have everything, you've squeezed everything in and there's no... You know discretionary dollars, and there's no room for fi- error financially. It's not okay for your relationships to look like this, where everybody's so busy and you cram so much into your schedule that you get to, you get to a point where you don't really even enjoy any of the stuff you do, and your kids don't even enjoy the stuff they do. And we've got you know running you know a hundred different directions. So maybe you're maxed out <clears throat> in the in the clutter. And kind of this claustrophobic sense of how we do our schedules and how we manage our budgets is stressing you out. And I, and I know how you feel, right? You feel like you don't have any choice. Uh, you feel like this is just the way the life is. You know, you tell yourself, well, this is a season of life and it's, and it's going to go away, but it doesn't seem to be going away. So you think, well, this is just the way it's going to be, I guess. So we're going to talk about that, because at the end of the day, life is better with some margin, with some space to breathe. Margin is you actually have time to talk to the people in your family, right? Margin is you have dinner around the table. Margin is there's actually money at the end of the month. Margin is you actually enjoy all the things you're doing, because you're not doing all the things you could do, and you're not doing all the things that everybody else is doing. Margins being able to show up in small group and and concentrate on what we're talking about because you're not so distracted by all the the other things you haven't gotten done. Margins being able to come to church and actually be able to focus. Margin gives you breathing room to be able to pray and actually focus on what you're praying about because your your mind isn't distracted by all the things that you've jammed into your schedule and all the things that you're that are waiting to be done. So life is better. Life is better with some margin. So we're going to talk about that. Because the culture that we live in, it pushes us to do more, to spend more. If we let it, life will push us to our limits. There's a point at which you, you will redline your life financially or relationally or your schedule. And at some point, you just can't cram any more in. Everybody has limits. You may have an extraordinary capacity... You may have three times the capacity that I have, but everybody has limits. And if you live your life at the limit, at some point you stop enjoying your life. In in your attempt to get the most out of your life, you lose control of it. In your attempt to make as much progress as possible, you give up peace. When there's no margin, uh, several things happen. Uh, First, stress levels go up, right? Right? I mean, you know that awful feeling of sitting in your car and you're late for something. And, and as you watch the clock and the minutes are tick away, you know the feeling as time runs out. you got no more time. The stress level builds, and, and that's true in every area of your life when there's no margin. The other thing that happens is, is our, our focus narrows. In some ways, we become very myopic when there's no margin. Your, your tendency is to get so focused on that area where there's no margin... That in focusing there, you lose awareness of the other things around you. For example, I kind of walk around the podium here when I, when I teach. You know, kind of squeaks right here. Right there. And as long as I'm kind of in the middle of the platform, I'm good. You know, when I start drifting near the edge of this platform, as I kind of get closer and closer to the edge, suddenly I'm distracted. And I can't concentrate on everything I need to. Because, because I'm so focused on how close to the edge I am. When there's no margin, our focus narrows in unhealthy ways. And granted, there are there are stages of your life and there are seasons of your life um, and there are moments during the week when you have to be super focused. But if you live your entire life that way, you end up neglecting the things that are important. So consequently, our relationships suffer. Mom, you're always on your phone. Dad, you're always on the computer. All you guys ever talk about is money. I feel like we're not... We're doing a lot of things, but we're not really enjoying the things we're doing. I don't like to come home. I don't like to talk with you about that. I, you know, Every time money comes up, I just lock up. Every time we pull out the calendar, I lock up. Ultimately, the thing that really brings joy to our life, our relationships suffer. Because here's a fact. The primary factor that determines your happiness in, in life is the health of your relationships. Not your prosperity and not how much progress you've made. So that brings us to the question, why do we do this? Nobody would say, nobody would say I want more stress. Uh, I want to be so focused that I ignore people. I want unhealthy relationships. Nobody likes this. Nobody wants this. Well, there, there are a ton of excuses I think we could come up with, but I think there's a fundamental thing that drives this for many of us. I think that, that a big part of what drives our schedule, drives our spending in, in the pace in our attempt to kind of make relationships efficient is fear. It's fear that drives so much of the activity and spending and relationshipless lives that we lead. You know what we fear? I think some of us fear missing out. And if you're honest, there's a, there's a fear that if I don't go, if I don't say yes, if I don't sign up, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, I'm going to miss out. I think the other thing we fear is falling behind. You know, we look around at what everybody's doing, we look around at what everybody else is accomplishing and we compare ourselves to how they live. What they drive. What they wear. Where they vacation. How they spend their time. And there's there's this thing that I'm afraid I'm going to fall behind. And then I think maybe this is more of a, a man thing than a woman thing, but I, I'm guessing. But I think there's a fear of not mattering. I mean, I know there's something in me that I want my life to count for something. I want my life to to be important. I mean, when I'm gone, I want somebody to miss me. I want to accomplish something. I think many of the people in this church are progress-oriented people. We're leaders. We want to see change. We want to see progress. We want to be able to check things off boxes. I want to look back over the year and say, I got something done, other than just kind of taking up space. I want to do something. So, so I think there's a, there's a fear in me, and there's a fear in many of us. There's this insecurity. I think we're born with it. And so we equate busyness and we equate doing things and we equate spending and buying and purchasing and all those sorts of things somehow that all gets mixed up with how much do I really matter. So so here's the opportunity that we have together. As a group of people who love God and as a group of people who are trying to kind of figure the whole God thing out, what if we began to think differently? What if we were willing to address our fears And what if we were willing to to take a really difficult and honest look at what drives my schedule and what drives my spending and what drives my relationships? Now, here's the the interesting thing. When you open up the pages of the Bible, God speaks to this issue. And you're you're not going to find the word margin if you look around in your Bible. But what you find instead is this ongoing conversation that God has with his people. It's this contrast between fear and faith. Because this is a faith issue. This is an issue really of how much do I trust that God knows my name and cares for me as an individual. Back a long, long long time ago, when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, um, they were a slave state. So so this is almost impossible for us to completely understand. They were slaves everybody who left Egypt and followed Moses into the promised land to kind of begin this new society, really all they knew was slavery. They had been slaves for 400 years. Okay, So everybody who had not been a slave had died many, many, many years before. So this this is a group of people who understand. You work 24-7, and you do whatever you're told, and if you don't, you die. And if you get sick, you're discarded because people don't waste good medicine on dying slaves. So this this is their mindset. So God leads them out of slavery, takes them into this land, establishes them, and now he has to give them these kind of rules to live by. Because the only rules they knew are slave rules. There are 600 and something laws that God gave them. And the reason there's so many is because he was establishing a brand new country. A brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of living. Brand new values. He had to renew their mind to everything. And, and in these laws that God gave them, <clears throat> God built margin into the society. Margin into the place that his people were to live. And one of the big ones, the one that you're most familiar with probably, was the Sabbath day. And we know all about the Sabbath day, right? But here's what's hard for us to understand. The idea of an entire day of doing no work was it was completely foreign to these slaves. In fact, it was dangerous. This, this was, you know, before refrigerators. If you didn't work, you may not eat. And God says to this brand new nation who understands 24-7 work, God says to them, one of my top ten rules for you, and thou shalt chill out for a day. You know? I mean, how can you not love a God that's one of the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, take some time off? This had to be mind-blowing, staggering to these people. This is like, no one can take a day off. How can I take it? We'll, we'll starve. We won't have enough food to eat. There's so much to get done. So this, this, in kind of the ancient times of Israel, the Sabbath idea was this. When the sun goes down on Friday night, all work stops. Whatever you didn't get done, you don't do. It'll wait. And 24 hours later, you can begin to work again. But no work on the Sabbath. None. In fact, it's against the law to work. You know why God did that? Because God understands the way he created us. And this was his will. But it was even more than that, because by instituting the Sabbath, God began to teach his people at the most elementary level that they had to trust him. But God, what if it doesn't get done? What if it doesn't get done? Trust me. What if we, we don't finish? Trust me. But what if we haven't brought all the crops in? You trust me. What if, what if, what if? And God was saying, trust me. Trust me. The Sabbath was an expression of faith. When Jesus came around, he said some interesting things about the Sabbath. He said people weren't created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for people. The Sabbath was created for mankind, God gave this as a gift. The other thing he did was he instituted the tithe. Here's what the tithe did. They didn't have banks. So, here's what would happen. In the Hebrew home, in these kind of ancient times, um, they would actually store the money that they were going to give for, uh, for the sake of kind of creating a new religious system. They would store the money in their homes in a jar or a box, so every, every single Hebrew family knew we can't live on everything that comes in because we're going to give 10% or 20% to society to help with the poor and to help with the religious institutions. So they visibly saw money come in, stored in a box or a jar that they would not spend. And it, and it built into the kind of the ancient Hebrew culture a sense of financial margin. Just, becomes, just because it comes in doesn't mean it goes out. And the third thing, there are were, there were many of these things. But the third thing God instituted was this, the law of gleaning. So again, brand new culture. God is setting up a society just the way he wants it. And here's what he says. I want to read you two passages from the Old Testament. I want to explain these because this is fascinating. So now imagine you're, you're a hand-to-mouth culture, right? You can't store anything very long. There's no refrigerators. Everybody's by our standards, is way, way, way poor. So everybody needs everything they can possibly get. And you're a farmer. And the way you make your money is selling crops. And these aren't giant fields. Okay? There are small fields because they were all managed by just a few people. So here's what God instituted as a law to the ancient Jewish people. Here's what he said in Leviticus 23, 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. So the gleaning was the fruit or whatever they were harvesting that fell on the ground and was still good to eat. It could be used. He said, if it falls on the ground, you just leave it there. You do not reap all the way to the edges of your field. You leave the edges there. And he says this in Leviticus 19.10. It says, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. He says, okay, once you go through and you pick the grapes, if you miss some, you can't go back and get the ones you missed. And you can't get everything all the way to the edges of your field. Okay, but that's, that's money, right? That's leaving it on the table, right? That's mine, you know? What if, what if, what if? He says, no, you can't go through it twice, and you don't take it to the edges. You leave it. You leave it for people who are in need. And then listen to how he finishes both these laws. You may have seen it. it. says, I am the Lord your God. Okay, thank you. I mean, what? What's you change the subject? But here's what he's saying. He's going, I want you to trust me. Here's the principle. I don't want you to take everything to the limit. I want there to be space. And in the space, I want you to know that God will take care of us. Listen to the way he said it in Deuteronomy twenty four nineteen. He says, When you're harvesting in your fields and you overlook sheaf, do not go back and get it. Uh-oh, you missed one. Go get it. That's what we would do, right? Oh, you missed one. You missed one. Go get it. Make sure you get all of them. He says, no, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then listen to what he says. So that, check this out, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands okay, wait, if it's about the work of our hands, then we need to go all the way to the corners. We need to get over those, you go over those fields three times to get everything that belongs to us and be good stewards. He says, no, that's not how it works. I want you to leave some on the table. I want you to leave some extra. I want you to walk away and not take it all the way to the limit of what you could get because I want you to learn to trust me. But God, what if we don't have enough? What if there's a famine? What if? What if? It was God's way of saying to the nation, look, I'm going to provide for you and I want you to trust me. If you trust me and work some space and some margin into your life, I'm going to multiply the work that you did do. I want there to be space. In the space, you have to trust me. Then to make matters worse, Jesus rolls around hundreds and hundreds of years later and here's Jesus insensitive synopsis of all that for those of us who live in the New Testament age. Jesus is drawing upon the same idea of I want you to trust me. I'm not not against working hard, not against setting goals, I'm not against progress. I'm not against any of that. But when you find yourself getting to the limit, when you find yourself maxing things out in terms of schedule and relationships and money, it's because perhaps you're afraid. When you find yourself afraid, I want you to step back and say, can I trust God in the margin? And in the space. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew six thirty one through 32. He says, so do not worry. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. So this is such a slap in the face. A pagan is a person that thinks there is a God that could care less about them. Pagans believed in the wrong gods. Pagans believed in pagan gods. They believed in Jupiter and Zeus. Right? These, and those gods could care less about people. They can, you could can never get their attention. You never knew what they were going to do. Then he says something that I think is the issue. He says this. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows you need to eat and live indoors. Right? Your heavenly Father knows the pressure you have at work and the pressures uh, that you have in society. Your heavenly Father knows that you're single and you want to get married and you're thinking, if I don't, drive this and do this and look this way nobody's ever going to want to go out with me your heavenly father knows if if we really believe that our heavenly father knows that do we do we really believe that our heavenly father knows that what would happen if we we believe that what would happen to your fear what would happen to your i got to measure up i got to make a difference and what what if and what if and i'm going to fall behind what would happen to all that if you woke up every single morning and you said God you know what my limits are and I have to breathe and there's a lot that won't get done and, and I'm not going to go all the way to the edges of my field and there's going to be some grapes on the ground there's going to be some wheat that just gets left out there and I'm, I'm just going to trust you with that because I know that you know what I need can you imagine living a life of that kind of faith that is exactly what your heavenly Father is inviting you into. And when, we, when you learn and when you find that pace, there will be margin. In your effort to get the most out of life, you will not lose control of your life. And, and, you, and you will not trade your peace for progress or prosperity. Then he ended it this way. One of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I know about you, and then we're going to wrap up. Okay? Ready? Here we go. Here's a conclusion. Something or someone is going to determine the limits that you live by. You have limits. Time limits, money limits. You will either allow culture and or fear to drive you to your limits. Or, you'll learn to trust that your Heavenly Father loves you. You'll learn to walk in accordance to His pace for you. In your life financially, relationally in terms of your schedule. I mean, there are all these things that just drive us. And you can either live at the limit, and you will not enjoy your life, or, and you will not enjoy your relationships, and you won't even enjoy all the stuff you spent your money on. You won't enjoy the things you do because you're doing too much. Or you will decide, you know what, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in the world of what if the rest of my life. And I'm going to believe that God knows what I need. Then I'm going to take a step back from the limits, and I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust him with my finances. I'm going to trust him with what people think about me. I'm going to trust him with what my brother-in-law thinks about me because he makes more money than me. Or my sister, you know, she vacations more than I do. I'm going to trust God with all that. And I'm not going to allow my fear or the expectation of other people to drive me to an unhealthy limit. I'm going to learn to allow God to help me to create margin. I'm not going to trade peace for progress or peace for prosperity. Here's what people who are you know, 60 years old or older would tell you. I've heard it from so many people. They would tell you, I would go back to being 30 or 40 and 50 and I would trade some prosperity, I would trade some progress for the sake of peace. I would go back to where you are because you haven't eaten up your 30s and you haven't eaten up your 40s and you haven't eaten up your 50s. Some of you haven't even eaten up your 20s. I would go back and I would create margin because what I traded my margin for wasn't worth it. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about your schedule, and we're going to talk about your money, and I'm going to talk about your relationships. And your homework assignment between now and next week is simply to answer this question. You can put the next one up there. Where do you need some margin? I have a feeling you probably just did your homework assignment just right now. Right? This is not "I do not a I-don't-know-I-really-need-to-think-about-it kind of thing. But here's the thing. Where do you need some margin? If you're in a, if you're in a small group or a fellowship group this week, if you're, if you're discussing the message, I want you to answer that question out loud with your group. But I want you to think between now and next week about where you need margin. Here's what I really want, to, want you to think about. Because maybe, maybe I got it wrong. You know, Don't take my word for it. But really, look at Is there a relationship between Your incessant desire and your need to be right on the edge in every area of your life and your lack of faith or trust in God. Is there a relationship? And then what would it look like in that area where you need some breathing room if you were convinced that the Heavenly Father knows what you need and can provide it without you driving yourself crazy in your effort to get the most out of life? That's what we're going to continue to look at, all right? So let's create some margin in our lives. All right. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you created us and that you know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, you know that we need margin. We need room to breathe. And I pray that we might trust you. That we might trust you in the gaps. That we would trust you when it feels like we have to do it all. Lord, just show us your goodness. It's in your good name that we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. Uh, the